of your normal law-abiding concepts out of the window. Here's a chance to raise merry hell. In the 1950s, the Cold War led to massive spending and experimenting for the United States Defense Department. There was a by-any-means-necessary mentality, a chance to raise merry hell. Part of that movement was a man named Frank Olson. As an army scientist, he worked at Fort Detrick in Maryland, a biological weapons laboratory. The CIA was counting on Olson and his colleagues to develop new biological weapons. Olson, in some ways, has always been part of our story. He was doing weapons testing near Skinwalker Ranch. In more ways than one, his story is the foundation to what's happening today. Helping create weapons wasn't his only responsibility, according to one account of Olson's work. He also traveled to Germany, to CIA safe houses, to witness programs of torture. Here's Frank Olson's son, Eric, in an interview. They were collaborating with former Nazis about methods for getting information from people. By any means necessary. But Olson became disgusted with the CIA. He'd witnessed atrocities in animal and human test subjects. He claimed to have developed ulcers from stress. His son recalls him being disturbed. Not the right guy for the job. He began to seek help from a physician. His turmoil didn't go unnoticed. On November 18, 1953, Olson was invited by his colleague to a cabin retreat with other members from the CIA for a couple of days. Trip to fight burnout? Perhaps. But when Frank Olson returned home, he was acting disoriented, delusional, and depressed. According to his family, his symptoms went on for days. Less than a week after the ordeal, he tried to resign from the CIA, but was talked out of it. On Saturday, November 28, 1953, 10 days after the retreat, Olson took another trip, this time to New York City. He was told he could see a security-cleared physician. He even had a CIA escort to make sure he got there safe. But shortly after 2 a.m., Olson plummeted out of the 13th floor window of his hotel. This was presented as an experiment gone wrong. Turns out, a colleague from the cabin trip had clandestinely dosed several individuals' drinks, including Olson's, with what the CIA referred to as truth serum. What was this serum? LSD. They had dosed one of their own. The CIA was seeking a new weapon, aimed not at the body, but at the mind. This was part of a CIA-led program researching mind control, called Project MKUltra. It ran from the 1950s into the 1970s. The CIA dosed sex workers, prisoners, terminally ill cancer patients, and their own employees. As this 1952 CIA memo says, the aim is controlling an individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will. These were large doses given without the person's knowledge or consent. Using unwitting human beings as their guinea pigs, the agency tried everything. Drugs, hypnosis, electroshock. That brings us back to the present day. U.S. fighter pilots across the country see fantastic craft flying in ways unexplainable. The top brass says that they're not ours, 
They aren't anything we can identify. Surely no one would lie to members of the armed forces, right? Surely the people in charge today are more ethical than their predecessors in the 1950s, right? Listener, dear, dear listener, I don't know. The CIA's MKUltra program. It's actually closer to the subject matter at hand than it may first appear. This same program that was dosing people with acid later started studying the paranormal, the occult, and curious mental phenomena like extrasensory perception. This weird shit world, its past is filled with horrors, and not the Cthulhu kind. Unfortunately, the man-made kind. The story of the fighter pilot videos has grown out of soil, where lies and a disregard for human life served as the fertilizer. It's grown out of programs like MKUltra, and as you're about to learn, dear listener, it hasn't strayed far from its roots. As I said in the first transmission, dear listener, when it comes to the weird shit world, nothing is ever what it seems. What if Mr. Elizondo has heard or seen things and it's him that's being misled. I'm M. Jubinias. From something else, this is Fringe Network, Alien State. Transmission 6. Through the Fog. I'm recording. Okay, we're here in Cedar City. Um, it's pitch black outside. And we're at the Remote Viewing Instructional Services Building, uh, which is a business owned by uh, a man named Paul Smith, who was a army-trained psychic spy. I'll repeat that, listener. A psychic spy for the U.S. military. Now, what the hell is a psychic spy, and what do they have to do with UAP? Dear listener, more than you'd think. Or... Well, maybe as much as you'd imagine. There's a lot of overlap. Um, and the door has um, on it the all-seeing eye. From the dollar bill, right? It's it the all-seeing eye. Paul Smith pulls into the parking lot. He's a middle-aged man, bald, with rectangular glasses. In the movie version of this, he'd be played by J.K. Simmons. As a young soldier, Smith received psychic training in the army. Now he runs a business, training civilians in the practice. Oh, some familiar faces. Yeah. Look at this. Help. We walk into the office and are greeted by a wall of portraits, people Paul Smith had worked with, including lots of the people in the UFO paranormal world. So what brought them here? So this is one of our viewing rooms. You know, we do lecture and present, we do practical exercises, and then we put them in a situation where they have to be able to remote view, or they don't get anything. You know, you sit them in In the 70s, the U.S. was still obsessing over what the Soviets were up to. And word on the street was that they were researching parapsychology, a goodie bag of psychic phenomena like telepathy, telekinesis, and clairvoyance. And the DOD wasn't going to be outdone by those damn commies. The Cold War, dear listener, it's got a man to the moon, and it funded acid trips and mind control training too. What a time to be alive. And they had some real success. In fact, at some one point, the CIA said, we ought to use it to actually spy on the Russians. <laughs> they recruited accomplished soldiers who spoke multiple languages and liked the arts. 
line item in the federal budget that pays people to be trained in this psychic stuff. There is no way I'm not going to do this. <laughs> Smith was put in this special military program to use his mind alone to perceive things happening far away, in other countries, or even in the future. <laughs> so I'll try and set the scene for you because, frankly, it's very boring to look at from the outside, right? You have... He's right. If you wanted to watch, you'd basically just see a guy staring at a wall. During an exercise, a remote viewer will, say, sit in a windowless room on an airbase in Kentucky and be told a small piece of information about a target, like a person's social security number. And the viewer will focus their mind and see if they perceive any images or information about the target's whereabouts. Usually the data start, comes in in bits and pieces at first. Even though you're not seeing this with your eyes, you can distinguish their colors, smells, sounds, tastes, tactile experiences, all of this without actually having any direct sensory connection to the target. Eventually, the image should start to take shape. At that point, the viewer can start sketching, get a pen, maybe make And just like that, a person can conjure up an image, providing insights on secret agents military top brass planning operations, a missing persons case, or who knows, multi-dimensional creatures fucking with fighter pilots. And by focusing really, really hard, the unknown becomes knowable. Or at least that's what the DoD wanted to believe, despite being rarely mentioned, and with next to no public results. From what we can tell, this program lasted two decades, ending in the early 90s. Try and try again, I guess. You know for a fact that you aren't limited to the insides of your skull, <laughs> right? And so it's a very empowering, very self-actualizing actualizing experience. As self-actualizing as it may be, it's not surprising to hear that the people who are investigating Skinwalker Ranch would also be interested in remote viewing. They were investigating all different kinds of phenomena, Question everything. Look into it all, right? And someone else whose name comes up potentially connected to remote viewing? Lou Elizondo, the man who led the charge on finding out what the fighter pilots were encountering. The guy who explains his investigation as... We focused really just entirely on the nuts and bolts. We started looking at this from a U.S. military perspective. If it came from anywhere else like civilian, we wouldn't engage. In 2021, a book came out called Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. It was co-authored by James Lekatsky. Quick reminder, for those of you who aren't listening next to your wall of red string, note cards, and pictures, Lekatsky was the government scientist who visited Skinwalker Ranch and then helped get funding for a program to investigate it and asked Elizondo what he thought of UFOs. In the book, Lekatsky describes a dinner with Elizondo and other UFO researchers and government employees in the late aughts. The group started sharing their own paranormal stories over the main course. My producer Casey will read an excerpt. As he enjoyed his steak tartare, Elizondo regaled those around him with some war stories, including one hair-raising exploit about how his advanced intuition and remote viewing capabilities had saved his life and the life of his men while on a covert combat mission in a war-torn Afghanistan. Just a reminder, we tried to speak with Lekatsky for the show and received no response. 
Anyway, according to Lukatsky, Elizondo was trained in or had some experience in parapsychology well before he was investigating UAP. But in interviews, Elizondo distanced himself from the more out-there fringe stuff. In our recording for this show, he even made a joke about how during college he studied parasitology and not parapsychology. I laughed. He's a good hang. But he doesn't want to talk about psychic weird shit. Other podcasts have asked him about his remote viewing experience. What's your opinion on remote viewing? And I believe you dabbled in that. I'm not going to discuss what I've done in my, my career. I've done a lot of things in my career for my country. It's not really germane or relevant to, to this discussion of UAP. It's understandable why he wouldn't want to get into it. It could be classified and it distracts him from his main argument, that UAP are a national security threat. Elizondo entered the public eye, hoping to push the government into action. Well, two years after he started his campaign, in 2019, the government pushed back. Now, dear listener, can you use your psychic capabilities to figure out what is about to happen next? Yes, it's time for an ad break and I will be using my psychic abilities to make sure you subscribe, buy, or do whatever our wonderful sponsors tell you to do. This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat. Available now. The U.S. population entrusted me with $22 million of their hard-earned money to find answers. Remember, Elizondo told us this in an interview you heard back in Transmission 2. Well, it seems like that wasn't so cut and dry. Back in 2017, when the pilot videos were published, a journalist named Brian Bender wrote about it for Politico. Bender asked the Pentagon to confirm that Elizondo ran a program that was looking into UAP interactions with the military. And a spokesperson at the time, Dana White, said essentially, yep, confirmed. Right, so all good. But then, Casey, 
hit the fast forward button. More than a year later, the Pentagon was like, hold up a second, takesy-backsies. On June 1st, 2019, The Intercept published an article where the Pentagon said they didn't have a program looking into UAP and therefore Elizondo could not have run this non-existent program. The sub-headline for the article is, There is no discernible evidence that Luis Elizondo ever worked for a government UFO program, much less led one. Yikes. The drama. We all saw the interviews with service members, the videos showing unexplainable craft. Elizondo said he ran this program. Pilots have acknowledged Elizondo interviewed them. But now suddenly there's a Pentagon statement that undermines the narrative? It was very confusing. And it did not take long for fans on the internet to speculate that this was a government cover-up. You know, a not unreasonable speculation. And so, as you can imagine, I had questions. I wanted to discuss all these more complicated things with Elizondo IRL. That's in real life for long. We're at the link in Sin City, Nevada. There's Chippendale dancers, there's showgirls, and there's people who are incredibly drunk walking around. So, in November of 2021, back when Casey and I met up to go on our paranormal reporting trip, we were also planning to spend a day at Lou Elizondo's home in Wyoming. I've known Elizondo for years. We aren't sending each other daily memes or anything, but I've always had a good time with him. Beyond the big guns, his biceps tattooed with Lady Liberty wielding a big gun, he's a fun guy. I'm also a Gemini. I like long walks on the beach. Uh, let's see. <laughs> yes. Pina coladas in the rain. That's right. Me too. <laughs> but when I landed in Vegas and I switched my phone off airplane mode, I had received an email. Elizondo had gotten a book deal and was now on a media blackout. He was sorry and said he and his wife owe me a dinner in the future. This was, to say the least, not ideal. But that wasn't even the worst of it. You should have seen the room that was booked for us in Vegas. It was nowhere near the strip, and I think production thought this show was a murder mystery. One where me and Casey get killed. You know, help us out. When you go to review the show, give it five stars, and in the comments, put something about our team needing to stay in hotels that are less murdery during future adventures. Please, and thank you. Remember, follow, go tell a friend. Blah. Blah, blah. (sighs) Anyways, in the days and weeks after Elizondo cancelled our interview, I kept hearing his voice. I'm in the middle of writing a book, and uh, and my hope is that uh, some of these these very compelling incidents that I was privy to will be able to be told. I think people are going to be absolutely shocked and stunned. Well, uh, okay, I'm on pins and needles. At the time of recording this transmission... We have heard Elizondo on at least 25 and counting different programs since he told us he couldn't talk to us until his book came out. You know, the media blackout. But none of those interviews got at what I wanted to know. What was the deal with the Pentagon statements? Had Elizondo actually been the director of a UAP program? Well, we do have a bit more insight now, thanks to some newly released government documents. But to address it, I I need to make a confession. 
Yes, I too have a secret that needs to be purified in the light of day. Dear listener, I don't know how to tell you this, but I am Canadian. I apologize all the time. I love maple syrup. I have a cabin in the woods. I wear flannel and have a tattoo on my back of Celine. That's Celine Dion for long. And Tegan and Sarah high-fiving Drake. And there are things my woodsy, friendly mind just can't comprehend. So, I'm bringing in a friend to help me unpack this next bit. We need a suspicious American. It's hard to ask me if I trust somebody. I don't trust anybody. I need evidence to back up whatever anybody is is telling me. This is John Greenwald. He runs an online archive of declassified government materials called the Black Vault. He has over 25 years. He requests government files from the Freedom of Information Act, mostly about weird shit, but not limited to it. And eventually, once the documents come in, he uploads them, the raw info, to his website. I just uncovered a document that came out from the Pentagon through the FOIA that Luis Elizondo himself had written. Elizondo had written to someone in the DOD whose name is redacted. Elizondo was refuting the Pentagon's statements that he hadn't run a program looking into UAP. This email was written back in 2019, but John only recently got his hands on them. My editor Grant will read a portion of this email. The plain truth is that I did everything I could to maintain focus and attention on this vital issue when so many others continue to sweep it under the rug purely out of fear of the stigma and possible impact on their reputations. And for that, the department wants to make me out to be the bad guy, an imposter. The email goes on. As you can imagine, I am not only hurt and disappointed, but angry. I should, if anything, be getting accolades for my persistence and initiative especially since the Navy has now publicly acknowledged the seriousness of the issue, something that only occurred because of my efforts. Instead, a knife in the back? Wow, thanks guys. Warning, dear listener, before we read you another quote from the email, Elizondo drops an acronym, ATIP. It stands for Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. Don't be scared. There won't be a quiz on acronyms. Okay, Casey, you can unpause our reenactment of the letter. ATIP was an official program that was never shut down. When funding dried up, I continued to lead and interact with officials in DOD and other agencies to the best of my ability in the interest of national security. When I departed, as is clear from my resignation letter, it was purely out of frustration with my ability to gain additional traction and support. It goes on. Call it an activity versus a program, if you will. But if this escalates, it will be easy to prove how active I remain in support of our men and women in uniform, especially in the U.S. Navy. We've been led to believe it was this big program, a concerted effort to research UFOs and UAPs. So he, in his own words, started pulling back on what that scope was. Remember, Elizondo told us he was entrusted with $22 million to get answers. That's been repeated a lot. Our next guest, Lou Elizondo, 
who from 2010 to 2017 ran the Pentagon's secretive $22 million program investigating military reports of UFOs. Elizondo took over the $22 million Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. $22 million. That number has come up elsewhere before, right? Are you shouting into your phone, dear listener? Are you pointing at the answer that's tacked to your wall that's now covered in index cards? $22 million was given to OSAP, the Aw You Guys at the Pentagon are SAPs program. $22 million was outsourced to Bigelow's company to look into Skinwalker Ranch and all the work in the UFO-shaped building in Nevada. OSAP, ATIP, are you confused yet? Deep breaths, dear listener. We got this. Remember that book Lukatsky wrote? All of a sudden, this book comes out, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, written by the undisputed director of the OSAP program, and they were there to set the record straight, and one of which was the money. The $22 million didn't go to ATIP and went over to OSAP. The book describes the ATIP program as, and I'm quoting, something a small group of people looked into when their day job allowed them to. And now, fast forward. Spring 2022, months before this show was supposed to be finished, I and other journalists received a whole bunch of paperwork from the Pentagon. Three years ago, I filed my own FOIAs and just received a response, just in time for the show. I know, what timing. Listener, do you think that the feds are spying on me? It's not impossible. G-men, if you're listening in on me, invading my privacy, hear me clearly. Please review the show and give it five stars. Thank you, you shadowy government agents. Anyways, they finally sent me a lot of paperwork, but the SparkNotes version of it is this. There was a letter submitted in 2009 by our old buddy, Nevada Senator Harry Reid. He put in a request to the DOD to secure continued funding of UAP investigations, but Reid's request for further funding was denied. So either things are being released to discredit Elizondo, or he wasn't entrusted to run an officially funded UAP program. As for the funding that dried up, our best guess is that he's talking about taking over the now-dead OSAP program. John thinks about it this way. Okay, let's just put it in proper context. If he found something, I wouldn't take that away from him just because he did it on his own time. Scientific results are scientific results, whether you're doing it in a lab in a lab coat or you found the the result by accident wearing your pajamas in your garage. If it's reproducible or it's a scientific finding, it is what it is. But I'm into making sure things are in proper context. It just doesn't seem like this is at all within proper context. I, too, would like us to put this in proper context. I would like a fuller, coherent picture. And that includes the impact on Elizondo. He uncovered something happening to military pilots and spoke out about it at a personal cost. This has been the worst experience for me personally. I mean, as you know, MJ, I lived in a trailer for two years. That's what I went from having one of the best jobs you could have in the U.S. government at very senior levels with all the privilege, pomp, and circumstance and walked away from it. There's been a financial impact and a lot of pressure to say more, to expose more. But Elizondo says he can't do that. I've spent the last three and a half years now taking arrows 
partly because I refuse to go against my national security oath. I'm not willing to sell people out and dime people out just to save my skin. I won't do it. I'll take all the arrows I need to because at the end, the truth is going to come out. And people will realize it and say, oh, man, shit, maybe we should have given the guy a, a fair break here. I know. It's a lot to take in. Let's recap. Elizondo helped the fighter pilot videos become public out of a sense of patriotism, but can't tell us more due to patriotism. The government is now saying it was never a program, but he clearly discovered something. What we really need, though, is more information. If this wasn't funded, at least not for a while, how was the information gathered? Maybe Details about the investigation would help us understand the very little evidence that's public, the testimonies and the short videos. Elizondo seems to lean towards believing what he's investigating is alien. We're getting to a point where if you ask somebody, are UFOs real? That's really the wrong question to ask. The real question is, what do we do about it? And how are we going to react when that first contact is officially made? Are we going to extend the hand or are we going to you know, aim, a, aim a rifle? And then you have the government's side of things. It's weird. According to Mellon and Elizondo, no one would take the issue seriously. They couldn't get a meeting. But now it looks like they got what they wanted. There's a task force in committee meetings. And yet the DOD has publicly undermined Elizondo. There's no method to the madness. The different actions just don't make sense. But you know what helps confusion? using the promo codes for the show. So there's no confusion for my overlords that they should spoil me in lavish luxury for future seasons. Give us five stars. Is Meghan Markle like Princess Diana? Or is she just a social climber? I was silent. Were you silent or were you silenced? Is she a breath of fresh air or a master manipulator? That's what we're going to find out on my podcast, Infamous. Apparently, ambition is a terrible, terrible thing. We'll look at what happened when two dysfunctional families came together. It's the family that I suppose she's never had. And how Meghan and Harry going Hollywood all went down. Only on the podcast, Infamous. What if you could become stronger, more resilient, cure disease, and all you have to do is get naked in the cold? and breathe. You get into ice water, and instead of like freaking out, you relax. It's called the Wim Hof Method, and Gwyneth Paltrow and Justin Bieber love it. I do the ice plunge because it's good for your body. But there's also a dark side. How many people have died doing the Wim Hof Method? We can override even death. Listen on the podcast Infamous. That's Infamous, playing now. Lou Elizondo has referred to his career in binary terms. My, my, my job was to find out what the bad guys know about our existence. Good guys versus bad guys. That goes for drug cartels, the war on terror, and unidentified aerial phenomena. His father was a rebel fighter, was captured and imprisoned. This is Tim McMillan, a journalist and a friend of mine who has spent a fair amount of time with Elizondo. Remember, Elizondo says his father was one of the many Cuban exiles swept up in the CIA plot to overthrow Fidel Castro. 
you think about growing up like that. Your father's this rebel uh, freedom fighter. Lou would tell me he was engaged in stuff that at the time he thought was fun, kind of like Boy Scouts. But uh, in reality, it was uh, training children to potentially grow up to be freedom fighters. I know my brain can only perceive reality in a woodsy Canadian way, but I've come to think of Elizondo as this classic American archetype, the freedom fighter. It seems like he was raised from childhood to be this kind of patriot. He clearly thrived in the military. And if you're convinced that you're the good guy, that you are on the right side, then anything you do is for the greater good. That kind of approach, well, it's not just Elizondo. You could expand that thinking to the Department of Defense as a whole. And once you do, the consequences can be extreme. As you heard at the top of the episode, dear listener, the Department of Defense has historically had a by and any means necessary approach, a willingness at times to raise Mary Hell. It was 20 years after Frank Olson's death in 1975 that a story ran with the headline Suicide Revealed, about an army scientist who had been drugged with LSD by the CIA and jumped to his death from his hotel window. When the Olson family found out, they were horrified. They had been kept in the dark about what happened to Frank. They didn't believe the death was a suicide. They thought it was all an elaborate cover-up by the CIA. And then, two decades later, this story runs in a major publication, paying little homage to the person lost. Here's Frank's son, Eric Olson, during the 1975 press conference. There are many things that we still don't know about the events surrounding my father's death. President Ford invited the Olson family to the White House to issue an apology on behalf of the U.S. government. The family received $750,000 and some documents related to Olson's death. After the family threatened to file a lawsuit, a young Dick Cheney wrote a memo to a mentor, Donald Rumsfeld, that the White House should go out of its way to appease the family so that the full details about Frank's death remain hidden. But despite their efforts to sweep this under the rug, many victims of this government program, Project MKUltra, came forward to testify. They kept you asleep for 23 days. And while I was asleep, they were shocking the heck out of me with electric shocks. I had to go through six and a half months of uh, psychotherapy. Real people were damaged and used by secret government programs attempting to develop new weapons. This all happened a long time ago, right? And yet, the program seems to have a particularly long legacy. Some of those detained at Guantanamo Bay were, upon capture, secretly subjugated to enhanced interrogation, techniques rooted in and influenced by MKUltra's research. Things like sleep deprivation, where you leave the lights on and blare heavy metal for a week straight, or denying them access to food or the bathroom. Electroshock therapy. MKUltra's techniques lived on into human rights violations in the 2000s. When you think about the outrageous-seeming methods the government has already used in order to exploit the paranormal, from sub-projects of MKUltra to programs exploring remote viewing, and even OSAP, and its poor track record with the truth, 
Well, it starts to feel like there's no limit to its methods. Everything seems possible. And for them, the ends will always justify the means. Even someone involved could not know the whole truth. This will really make people cringe. What if Mr. Elizondo has heard or seen things, and it's him that's being misled by the powers that be that we know have not been honest about this topic for the last more than half a century? So it, it's very well that he is incredibly well-intentioned. But what if he was misled or misinformed or did not have access to all of the information? Dear, dear listener, think back to what would have seemed absurd when we started these transmissions. Now, aliens, sure. Mind games, sure. Hologram weapons, sure. Why not? There's just not enough evidence. For nearly a decade, I've peered into the fog. At times, I've been certain aliens are amongst us. At other moments, I've been certain it's mostly a con. Through all these years, trying to get a clear idea of what's going on, trying to hold things up to the light, I still feel like I'm never quite sure what I've seen. But now that we have journeyed into the weirdest corners of this world and gathered all the context we can, I want to let you, dear listener, hear from two key players for yourselves. Next episode, we sit down with Jim Semivan, former spy and VP of To The Stars, and Chris Mellon, Rumsfeld chair warmer and American royalty. If you don't trust U.S. military personnel, if you don't trust the Department of Defense at all, you know, there's not much I can do for you, really. Alien's State is hosted by me, MJ Benias. It's reported by me and Casey Georgie. Produced by Casey Georgie. Our associate producer is Stephanie Aguilar. Written by Grant Irving, Casey Georgie, and myself. Editing by Lizzie Jacobs and Megan Dietrich. Fact-checking by Matt Giles. Our production coordinator is Lily Hambly. Music by Nolan Schneider. Sound design by Grant Irving and Sam Baer. Engineering by Sam Baer. Our executive producers are Grant Irving, Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, and Anthony LePay. Special thanks to Pallavi Kotamasu, Steve Ackerman, Charlie Yador, and Danielle Jones-Wesley. Thanks to our legal team, Nimra Azmi and Alison Shari, for Davis Wright Tremaine. <laughs>